Good morning, and welcome to the Truth and Love radio broadcast. This program has been a part of the Mid-South for the last 70 years, faithfully overseen by the Getwold Church of Christ. Truth and Love will carry on lifting up the banner of New Testament Christianity today to the Mid-South area under the oversight of the Olive Branch Church of Christ. Please join us now as Mike Hickson opens the Bible and shares the truth in love. Hello and welcome to the Truth in Love radio program. So thankful that you are tuning in today. Our prayer is that God would bless you as you listen to his word today. It might be that you have questions or comments we would love to address those if you will let us know if your questions or comments we'll be happy to provide you with a biblical response we are just a few hours away from a brand new year 2024 our prayer for you is that god would richly bless you and your family in the coming year and hopefully and prayerfully the coming year will be one where christ is enthroned in your heart or in your life In our lesson today, I want to call your attention to the book of Matthew, chapter 27, at verse 22, as Pontius Pilate asked the question, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? The theme of our study today, a profoundly personal question. As we consider this question, I want to just begin by asking a question to you, and that is, what will you do? With Jesus. You know, some years back, many people wore a bracelet that said, What would Jesus do? Well, today we're asking the question, What will you do with Jesus? Because when it's all said and done, when it comes to life, that is an incredibly personal question. As a matter of fact, when you look at what Pilate asked, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? Is there any more personal question than that? But then not only is it a personal question, but I submit to you it is a profound question. There are many, many questions that carry a lot of weight, a lot of gravity in this day and time. But is there a more profound question than asking, what will you do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? And then I would also suggest to you it is a provocative question. Because inherent in this question is the call for a response. Again, Pilate asked, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? We're asking today, What will you do with Jesus? Now, there are many, many questions that we probably all deal with over just a very brief period of time in life. Questions, some that carry a lot of weight, some not so much. But this is a question that I want to encourage you to give very careful consideration to. Now, let's just talk for a moment or two about this question in and of itself. And I want to begin by asking this question, because again, remember, we're asking, what would you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? But here's my question. What does Jesus think of you? What does the Lord think about you? You know, there are probably any number of people that would provide a wide variety of answers to that. 
There are some that have the idea that, well, if they live a good enough life, then the Lord would love them. He would be interested in them. He would care for them. Well, I would submit to you that that's not the case at all. But rather, the Lord loves you despite your frailties and faults in this life. You remember Paul in Romans chapter 5 at verse 6 had this to say, When we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. Paul there simply emphasizing the fact that though the human family steeped in ungodliness was still loved by the Lord. Because in verse 8 he said, But God commends his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, if you would, to what we often call the golden text of the Bible. You remember Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then, what about Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 4? When he said, But God, who is rich in mercy, for the great love wherewith he loved us. Listen to that. God's love, great And Paul said, God, who is rich in mercy for the great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, made us alive together with Christ. And he said, by grace are you saved. And so we are blessed immeasurably because of the tremendous love of Almighty God. You remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 at verse 15, Paul said to the church at Corinth, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift or his unspeakable gift, as some translations say. And the idea is that God has gifted the human family with his beloved son, that is, with a Savior. As the angel said to Joseph in a dream many, many years ago, that Mary would bring forth a son, his name would be called Jesus, and he would save his people from their sins. Now look at the life of the Apostle Paul, a remarkable individual. And yet, at one time, Paul was determined to destroy those who were followers of the way. As a matter of fact, he did everything within his power to really annihilate the body of Christ. The Bible tells us that while on the road to Damascus, the Lord met him and profoundly changed his life. Some years later, Paul would write to Timothy, identifying himself as a persecutor, blasphemer, a haughty or insolent man. But you remember he said he did it ignorantly in unbelief. Then he went on to say, the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Now listen to him. This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul recognized in his heart of hearts, that yes, he was a sinner. Yes, he had done much evil, had intended to destroy those who were following Jesus. And yet, he came to understand something about God's marvelous, matchless grace, the depth of his love, the demonstration of that love on Calvary. And so, when you look at the Scriptures, to understand that God genuinely loves us, that he is interested in us, so much so that he invested 
by sending his son to be our savior. But then listen to what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 4. Paul tells us that God would have all men, that's all men, A-L-L, to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And then Peter writing some years later. The Bible tells us that Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3 at verse 9 that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Is God interested in you? Yes, he is. Has God invested in your immortal soul? Again, the answer, yes. So to ask, what does the Lord think of you? What does the Lord think of me? I want to suggest that to answer that question, to realize, to recognize that God loves us, that we are the crown of his creation, and that he has done everything within his power to save us from the tyranny and bondage of sin. Do you remember what Jesus said many years ago? And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But then there is another question that we might ask. Number one, we ask the question, what does the Lord think of you? But number two, what do you think of the Lord? Now again, no doubt there would be a wide variety of answers if we were to ask people, if we were to poll people on the street today, because there are some people that, quite frankly, do not understand the gravity of this question. So what do you think about Jesus? I would imagine that many of us would say that Jesus was probably the greatest teacher, the greatest preacher that has ever lived. Some would see him as a champion of the social injustices of his day. Others would say that it was Jesus who had the ability to love the unlovable, to touch the untouchable, that it was Jesus who demonstrated a heart for those who were those who were disenfranchised and isolated in many ways. And there would be some that would talk about his compassion, his genuine concern for his fellow man. But there's another question. Was Jesus more than just a mere man? That's been a question that's been bantered about for generations. You remember in Matthew chapter in Matthew chapter 16, the Bible tells us that Jesus was in the coast of Caesarea Philippi on the northern end of Palestine. And on that occasion, he asked the disciples, who do men say that I the son of man am? And they said, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked this question. He said, but whom do you say that I am? Now, bear in mind, that what the Lord was asking was simply this. In terms of the word on the street, what are people saying about my identity? But now, more importantly, what do you think about my identity? And the Bible tells us that Peter spoke up and said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded to that by saying, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood is not revealed unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. So Peter, in answering that question, was correct. That Jesus was the divine Son of the living God. You remember over in the sixth chapter of the book of John, Jesus 
had identified him, himself as the bread of life, one of the seven great I am statements in Scripture. And the Bible tells us that Jesus emphasized the importance of eating his flesh and drinking his blood so that eternal life might be possible. But the Bible tells us that those who were present on that occasion said this is a hard saying, a difficult saying. Who can understand it? And then you remember John provides this commentary. John said that many went back and walked no more with him. And then the Lord turned to the twelve and asked in a very poignant way, Will you also go away? Note if you would. The Lord didn't concede or compromise. He didn't try to concede his message so that he might appeal to the crowd. But he merely asked the question, Will you also go away? And here's what Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. Now note, he then said, And we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Here's a question. How did Peter and the other apostles, how did they come to believe and know without a shadow of a doubt, with all certainty, that Jesus was indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God? Let me offer for you a couple of possibilities. Number one, I believe that Peter and the apostles, they came to believe in Jesus as deity because first and foremost, they heard his incomparable message. You remember again what Peter said? Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. In Matthew chapter 5, Really, in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, we have what is often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, in his presentation of that remarkable sermon, the Bible tells us that Jesus time and again said, You have heard that it's been said by them of old time. But I say to you, inserting divine authority, and if you remember, in Matthew 28 at verse 18, Jesus would later say, all authority, all power has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. And then when Jesus was transfigured on the mountaintop, in the presence of Peter, James, and John, the Bible tells us that Moses and Elijah appeared on the scene. Moses, who stood for the leader of God's great nation of people, that is Israel, the people that God led out of Egyptian bondage by the hand of Moses. And so, on that occasion, first Moses and then Elijah, who stood for the great prophets of God that thundered his message time and again. But God the Father spoke on that occasion, and God the Father said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, mark this down. He said, Hear ye him. In other words, when my son speaks, you need to listen, and you need to listen attentively. At the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, the Bible tells us that those who were present were astonished at his teaching. Why? Because he taught them as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. So his message, incomparable, unparalleled, 
And then I think about what John said in chapter 7 at verse 46. When John recorded, no man ever spoke like this man. Had there been great men of God in days gone by, some of the great prophets of God, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, but none comparable to Jesus, the Son of God. But then there is a second possibility. Number one, they came to know Jesus by his message. But number two, they came to understand something about the deity of Christ because of his miracles. In John chapter 5 at verse 36, Jesus said in the long ago, The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Now you can sift through the gospel according to John. And you remember in John chapter 20 and verse 30, the Bible says many of the signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Now, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have a catalog of about 34, 35 specific signs that Jesus performed. But there were many, many signs or miracles that Jesus performed that are not spoken of in the Scriptures. Now, if you look at the Gospel of John, that is, his narrative of the life of Christ, there are seven very distinct signs or miracles that Jesus did, again, cataloged by the inspired spokesman, beginning with that marriage feast in Cana of Galilee, where the Bible tells us that Jesus turned water into grape juice. Now, you remember the Bible tells us in John chapter 2 and about verse 11 that that was a manifestation of his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The miracles that Jesus did, number one, they confirmed his message. They confirmed his authenticity. That is, that he was who he claimed to be, the Son of God. But they also proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was divine in nature. When the Lord turned water into wine, in John chapter 2, or when he multiplied five barley loaves and two small fish and fed some 5,000 people. That was a demonstration of his power over matter. When the Lord Jesus healed the nobleman's son from a distance, that demonstrated his power over distance itself. When the Lord Jesus Christ healed a man that had been lame for 38 years, that demonstrated his power over disability. And then, of course, in John chapter 9, you remember there was a man born blind, and Jesus gave sight to that man that had been born blind, again, demonstrating his power over disease or disability. And what about in John chapter 6 when the Lord Jesus walked on water? Was that not a demonstration of his power over nature? In chapter 11, what I believe to be the pinnacle of all miracles, that is, the raising of the dead. Lazarus was raised from the tomb. The Bible tells us that he had already been dead for four days when the Lord Jesus told the people to remove the stone from the mouth of the tomb. You remember what was said? Lord, by this time he stinks or he's already undergoing decomposition. And yet the Lord said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus did indeed come forth. Well, those miracles authenticated his claims. So when we ask the question, 
How did Peter and the apostles come to understand that Jesus was who he claimed to be? Well, number one, they heard his message time and again. Number two, they saw the miracles firsthand. They were eyewitnesses to these things. And so, yes, their faith was in the Lord. So, number one, our question, what will you do with Jesus? But now, here's a second question. What will Jesus do with you? Now, you know, it's one thing to ask the question, what will you do with him? But it's another question, another probing, provocative question to ask, what will he do with you one day? Could I suggest to you, number one, that when we talk about this question, it deserves your utmost consideration. Why? Because it is an intensely important question. What will you do with Jesus? Yes. But what will he do with you? In Matthew chapter 27, we look at that account. And Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate. And he's being tried. Pilate would later give him over to be crucified. Now, three times... Pontius Pilate affirmed the innocence of Jesus, and yet he consented to the wishes and the whims of the people and delivered Jesus over to be crucified. But there's coming a day when the tables will turn, and Pontius Pilate will then stand before Jesus. When he asked the question, what then will you do with Jesus who's called the Christ? Well, he had to answer that question himself. But later, the tables will turn, and he'll stand before Jesus as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And the question then will be, what will Jesus do with him? So this is a very important question. It is a very personal question. It's a profound question. And yes, it's a provocative question. So, by way of consideration, could I encourage you to consider two thoughts here? Number one, the transparency of his teaching. You know, there are times in life when people are trying to sell us a service or a product. And then in very small, minute letters, they will have disclaimers. Well, when people are hawking a product or a service, I think it's good to just be upfront, to be transparent. When you look at the teaching of Jesus, now there are a lot of things that you could say about his teaching, but number one, to understand that his teaching was transparent. He never in any way tried to deceive anyone, but rather the Lord Jesus was right up front. What about the prerequisites to following him? You remember in Matthew chapter 16 at verse 24, when Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, number one, you've got to be willing to deny self. That is a demand imposed upon all of us. We've got to be willing to put him first. Now, we live in a day and time when selfishness seems to be king in the lives of many people. But what Jesus said is, if you want to follow me, you've got to become selfless. So number one, you've got to deny self. And then number two, you've got to be willing to die to self. Because he said, 
that you're to take up the cross and follow him, cross signifying death. You remember Paul said many years ago, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I under the world. Paul died to the love and the practice of sin, as we must if we're going to follow him. And then listen to this in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. What Jesus is saying is, if you want to become one of my disciples, you've got to be willing to honor the will of my Father. Now, there are a lot of folks that talk about loving the Lord Jesus Christ. And may I say with all kindness and sincerity, talk is cheap. No, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The Lord asked this question, Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? If we love him, we're going to do what he says. Well, what does he say? Well, Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow me. Did you know that if we want to, if we want to be a follower of Jesus, it's not enough for us to just recognize that he is a person of compassion and love and kindness, but rather we must come to understand that he is who he claimed to be, the Son of God. Because he said in John chapter 8, verse 24, and verse 21, he said, except you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. And he said, if you die in your sins where I am, there you cannot come. Now that is a prerequisite, very transparent. You want to follow him? You've got to believe that he is the son of God. And then you must be willing to repent. Jesus said, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Luke 13, 3 and verse 5. Jesus also said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. That's found in Mark 16, verse 16. A parallel passage found in Acts chapter 2 at verse 38, where Peter instructed those on Pentecost Day in the city of Jerusalem to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That means by his authority. For what reason? For the remission or the forgiveness of sins. And then, in compliance with his will, the Bible tells us not only... Do we enjoy the benefits and blessings of his blood, which washes away our sins, Acts 22, 16, but we're also added to the body of Christ. And then we must live faithfully until death. So there is the transparency of his teaching. That's an important consideration. But then by way of examination, did you know that one day there will be an intense examination of our life? That is, one day we're going to stand before the Lord on the day of judgment. Paul said, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to God. Would that include Pontius Pilate? Yes. Would that include you? Yes. It's inclusive of myself. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may give an account of the deeds done in the body according to what we've done, whether good or or bad. Now, very quickly, what's the standard by which we're going to be judged? It's not what I think. It's not how I feel in my heart. It's not what the multitude says. It's not what those who are in the political realm, what they legislate. It's not according to denominational doctrines and dogmas and catechisms. No, we're going to be judged according to truth. Paul said, we know that the judgment of God 
is according to truth. Romans chapter 2, verse 2. Well, Pilate asked the question, what is true? Jesus answered that. He said, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. In Revelation chapter 20, John said he saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And he said, the books were open. What books, John? The books of the Bible. We're going to be judged by the law of Christ. Galatians chapter 6 at verse 2. It's called the perfect law of liberty, James 1.25. The law of liberty in James 2 verse 12. So today we ask the question, number one, what will you do with Jesus? My prayer is you'll obey the gospel, that you will repent of your sins, be baptized into Christ, let the Lord put you in the church, and then be faithful. But then the second question, what will Jesus do with you? Please think carefully about this profoundly personal question. God bless. Thank you for listening today. We would love to have you visit with us at the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandridge Road, Olive Branch, Mississippi, 38654. We meet for Sunday Bible study at 9 a.m. Worship is at 10 a.m. Sunday afternoon study is at 1 p.m. Tuesday morning class, Bible class, is at 10 a.m. Wednesday evening Bible class at 7 p.m. Please visit our website, www.olivebranchchurchofchrist.org.